Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? to see you this morning. My name is Josh and uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to all of you if you're joining us online. Glad you're with us today too. But to all of you who are here in person, way to go braving the cold. That first winter day, stepping out. Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause, Ash. Yeah. That's a tough day, especially if you got kids getting out. And I know a lot of you brought kids today. They're backpacking shoe boxes. Um, let me pray. And then we're going to be in Acts chapter four and we're going to dive in. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Thanks that we get to uh, celebrate your coming, Lord, here at Christmas uh, coming up, and then also uh, celebrate the fact that you're coming again. Thanks that we get to be thankful this week for all the good things you've given us. And thanks we get to hear from your word today. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help me today. You'd speak to and through me, even as I teach and preach your word. Might my words be your own, and might we leave changed. Encourage our hearts today as we see the way you worked in Peter and John, knowing you're the same spirit who works in the same way in us. Help us today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts and uh, maybe you've been with us this whole time, but maybe you haven't. We're studying the book of Acts and we're in our 10th week already. And so let me give you just a flyby overview of where we've been so far. In Acts, the book of Acts is really about the continuing of what Jesus began to do and preach in the gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in the very beginning of Acts, we see Jesus ascends to be with the Father uh, until he will come again one day. But, But he ascends to be with the Father, but he tells the disciples before he goes, hey, don't go anywhere. Hang out here and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And when he does, he will come upon you in power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem right here and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And then that's exactly what happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts. You get to chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. And at Pentecost, he, he fills the believers, about 120 of them, and they begin proclaiming the gospel. And by the end of the day, that small church of 120 grew into a mega church that afternoon with over 3,000 people trusting Christ that day. And then throughout the rest of chapter two, we just read about how that church went about life, describing what life was like for them in those early days. And in chapter three, which really is kind of where we pick it up today, it's in the same uh, story, the same event. Peter and John are walking into the temple at a time to pray. The Jews prayed at three different times at the temple, at nine and at 12 and at three o'clock. And it was the afternoon, the ninth hour, three o'clock hour of prayer. They're walking into the temple And as they walk through one of the gates, they pass this man 
who's down on the ground. He's lame, he's been crippled. Our passage today tells us he had been unable to walk, had been lame from birth, and he was over 40 years old. But every day they brought him here and he would beg for alms and money and help. And so they're passing him, walking in, and Peter and John say, hey, look at us. And the guy looks up. And he he looks up at them and, and Peter says, hey, I don't have any gold, I don't have any silver to give you, but what I've got, you can have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter reaches down, grabs his hand, yanks him up. The guy hops up and leaping with joy, he was healed. He, he felt his legs grow strong. It's incredible. Well, then they go in to pray, they come back and this guy is just stuck to Peter and John like glue, this man. And he follows them very closely and he's, he's, he's praising God and the people and they, they end up on this one place on the Temple Mount. I'll show it to you here again in a second called uh, Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. And that's where often the believers would gather to hear teaching and to worship. And Peter begins, you know, teaching because he notices that it's not just the Christians here. Other people who knew that this guy was lame from birth uh, started following and going, hey, that's the guy who was the cripple. He's walking, what's going on? And so Peter just gets up and he's like, hey, don't look at me. Like I didn't do this. God did this. Jesus did this. You wanna know how this guy's healed? It's, it's by faith in the name of Jesus. And he gives all glory to Christ. Well, as he's preaching and teaching is really where we pick it up this morning in Acts chapter four. So if you got your Bible, look at Acts four and we read this, that uh, as they were speaking to the people, meaning Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees all came upon them. The leaders of the temple showed up at Peter's sermon. And notice how they showed up. They didn't show up just kind of going, oh, this is good. This is, no, they were greatly annoyed. And I think that's a kind way of saying they were, they were pretty ticked off at what was going on. They were greatly annoyed because, uh, well, Peter and John, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'll, show you this setting here one more time that I mentioned, but here's the uh, model, uh, to scale model of the temple. This is the actual temple and then the temple courts and this whole entire area is considered kind of the the temple uh, mount. And uh, this little gate right here going into one of the courts is likely the beautiful gate where that man was laying that Peter and John passed and healed him. They go in to pray, they come back out, he's following them. And you notice these columns all the way around? They actually go in this wall behind here too. Well, on this side, on this Eastern wall, uh, I'll show you another picture, zoom out a little bit. On this wall right here, likely probably down in this area, um, but somewhere along there was the part of it that was called Solomon's Porch. And that's where they were gathered. So you can imagine this whole crowd follows them somewhere along here. and follows them over and then now the religious leaders show up too. And it says they were greatly annoyed and they came upon them to, uh, to confront them and to deal with them. Do you ever feel like you're just going about your business, following Jesus, doing what he'd call you to do, but for whatever reason, there's some opposition to it? You need to know if you choose to follow Jesus, and we see it here this morning with Peter and John, If you choose to follow Jesus, you can expect some opposition. 
You can expect it. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. It's a given. It's an inevitable element of genuine Christian faith. That's why Jesus said, uh, take up your cross and follow me. Listen, if you trust Jesus, you become a Christian, and many of you in this room, you can attest to this. You trust Christ, life gets better, but it doesn't get easier. If anything, it, it oftentimes can become harder, but it's better. There's joy in it, and that's what's happening here with Peter and John. They were speaking to the people, and the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, they all just, they came upon him. <clears throat> well, who are these people? Why does that matter? Well, the, the priests were just the ones who orchestrated things in the temple. You know, they, they led worship. They cared for what was going on, managed things. But then there's this guy, the captain of the temple. I don't think he had a big C on his chest, but he was just the captain of the temple. He was, he was uh, kind of the main security guy at the temple. Um, the, the captain, he, he presided over a group called the temple guard, in our church, this would be James leading our security team to a degree, right? But here's what they did. They would police the temple mount. They would manage the gates. They would keep watch uh, over what was going on from watch posts. They would guard the temple treasuries. And, and this guy, it, it was a major role. And so he shows up. And in other words, Luke is telling us there's some, there's some guys with authority who step up and confront Peter and John while they're teaching. And then this last group, the Sadducees, the Sadducees were one of a number of different political, religious groups in Jesus' day and in the New Testament. There's a sidebar in your message notes, you can read about them. But the Sadducees in particular were a were small, but wealthy and influential, powerful sect among the people. And uh, the Sadducees, it's likely that the, the priests of that day, the leading priests were all Sadducees as well. And uh, one thing that's uh, unique about them is that they only believed that the Pentateuch, which means the first five books, sometimes called the Torah, you may have heard that word, of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, that that's all that was really God's word. That the rest of the Old Testament and that day, none of that was God's word. And when they read that part, because they never saw re evidence of resurrection there, uh, they didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. That was a notable thing. They're famous for not believing in the resurrection. So they come up and they hear Peter and John talking about Jesus and notice what he's preaching about. He, he was teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus what? The resurrection from the dead. So they come up, think about this. They were, they were annoyed in a couple ways. One, they're the leaders. They're the ones who are supposed to be in charge here. Not, who are, what are Peter and John doing drawing a crowd? We gotta go see what's going on here and take care of it. And then they start listening to what they're teaching. Resurrection, we don't buy that. That's not true. And so they were annoyed on a couple levels. By the way, if you ever wanna remember what the Sadducees are famous for, uh, when I'm teaching at Grace or if I teach this in, uh, for our students in Bible instruction class, the Sadducees are also very sad, you see, because they have no hope in the resurrection. Similarly, the Pharisees, they had extra rules. They're not so very fair, you see. Anyway, there you go, extra for today. But they were offended 
by the gospel or by, uh, by them teaching the gospel and also specifically about Jesus' resurrection and that there's resurrection in Christ. So what did they do? Well, they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. If you remember when all this started, it was about three in the afternoon. They went in to pray, they come back, Peter starts preaching and now these guys show up. I mean, it was evening and six o'clock was sundown a little after that. And hey, we gotta wrap this up. We're just gonna hold these guys till tomorrow and then we'll deal with it. Now you might be thinking, okay, how did in the world, I thought maybe Rome was in charge of Jerusalem at this time. What about the Romans? Well, they were, but they gave the Jewish leaders like the temple guard and the priests authority over the temple grounds and the Jewish people. And so while they didn't have all authority, they had quite a bit where they could certainly uh, take care of what was happening on the grounds there. But do you see this building on the side of the Temple Mount? This is called the Antonia Fortress, named after Mark Antony. And it had one tower that was taller than the others that looked over into the temple grounds so they could keep an eye on whatever all these crazy Jewish people were doing. That, that was kind of what they did. They, they kept peace that way, but they gave them a lot of freedom. So they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. But it was kind of too late because many of them who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. This church is growing fast, isn't it? Goes from 120 about to about 3,000 in an afternoon. And now, uh, a few days, couple weeks, we don't know exactly later. It's like so big, like uh, we're, we can't count them all. Let's just count the men. There's 5,000. The church is growing like crazy, isn't it? Well, now things start to get dicey because opposition shows up in their obedience. But it really shouldn't have caught them off guard because here's what Jesus said. If the world hates you, you should know it hated me before it hated you. That's a good word for us, isn't it? When we face opposition in our faith, if the world hates you, don't, like Peter says, don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. They hated Jesus, they're gonna hate you. Jesus said, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. Saying like it hated me, remember. The word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Friends, again, opposition to the gospel, persecution in the Christian life, it's a given. It's, it's, it's a given in scripture. If you follow Jesus, life will probably get harder. Well, uh, the next day then, after they kept him overnight, by the way, when they detained them and held them, it wasn't so much like a, um, you know, like they were in Leavenworth prison or something like that. It was, it was more like they were in the jail at Mayberry. They were just held overnight. And now they're brought before the council here, in this case, at least, to be tried. The next day, the rulers and elders and scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem these people made up what would be referred to as the Jewish council, or maybe you've heard the term Sanhedrin. That's the group that, again, they ruled over that, the Jewish people and in that temple area and uh, under the authority ultimately of, of Rome. Um, but here's who's there. 
Luke gives us a clue. He says, with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. It's worth just kind of briefly pointing out a little bit of what we know about who these guys are. Uh, Annas, he's kind of the real power. He was the high priest. Um, and in, in the gospels, when Jesus is put on trial, do you know whose house they take him to? Annas's house. Now I said he's the high priest, but if you were reading uh, the New Testament, you'd say, hold on, Josh, I thought Caiaphas was the high priest. Well, he was. Rome appointed Caiaphas, Annas' son-in-law, to be high priest. But the Jewish people, because uh, they saw uh, the office of high priest as a lifetime position, they still called Annas by that title and really respected him in many ways more than they respected Caiaphas. So he gets mentioned often as a, a major authority in these days. He was there at Jesus' trial, both of them were. John and Alexander, uh, we don't have any idea who those guys are. But Luke just simply, he said he used sources. He wanted to create a good account of what happened. And so this is just evidence he did exactly that and used his sources. Now, some people think uh, Annas had another son, Jonathan, who became high priest after Caiaphas. Um, some people think, well, maybe that's who that is, but we really don't know other than we just, we can take confidence here. Luke is telling us what happened. He really researched it. Well, he's given us details. Anyway, they were all there, this whole council, and they set Peter and John in their midst. So you might think of them kind of in a semicircle with Peter and John here in the middle about to get grilled. And they ask him, hey, so we gotta know, by what power or in what name did you heal this man? We learn later the guy who had been healed was actually standing there with him. We'll see that here in a second. We don't know if he was detained with him or if he was just called in as a witness or if he just showed up because he was clinging to Peter and John. But he was there. And they're like, clear, some kind of power made this man well. In whose name did you teach? Is it some cult? Is it, how, how did you do this? Are you practicing some kind of witchcraft or fake religion, demonic activity? How was this man healed? By what power did you do this? Well, we're gonna see Peter and John's response here in a minute, but what I want you to see is uh, that they, their answer was very much like what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You're gonna see Peter and John not ashamed of it either. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is what changes people. There's absolute power in the truth of the gospel and in God's word. And so they said, by what power did you do this? I wonder, um, what would you say? You're out this week and somebody comes and maybe a boss or a leader on your line at work or somebody else, a teacher, I don't know. And they grab you and like, hey, come with me, please. And they, they quiz you about something. You know, what were you talking about there? And you know they're not happy about whatever it was, if it, especially if it had to do with Christ. And what would you do in that moment? How would you respond? What would your answer be? Do you ever face questions like that sometimes? What do you do? 
here's what I can encourage you with. God will give you what you need in that moment. And he does it here with Peter and John. He'll do it for you as well. In fact, Jesus, I would imagine that in that moment, very potentially, or at least overnight, maybe while they're in prison and are being held, uh, that they remembered some of Jesus's words to them. Jesus said, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, that's about to happen in a moment. Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself. Don't be anxious about what you should say. Do you ever feel that way? And you you ever read that and you're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? That's super anxiety inducing. What do you mean just don't be anxious? I don't have a switch where I can just flip it off. You know, I, I can't do that. He says, no, just don't, why? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, in that very moment, what you're to say. He'll help you. It'll be by the Spirit that you'll know what to say because he's the helper. The Spirit is the helper. You you notice like at the beginning, a lot of times when when I preach, often I did it today too, I'll pray and ask the Spirit to help me, to, to let my words be yours. Teach me even as I teach. Why? In in many ways, I'm praying that promise. God promises to give us what we need when we need it. So it's by the Spirit. Let's look at what happens here. They ask him, you know, by what power did you do this? And then Peter, notice, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you you want a good thing to do through the book of Acts as we're studying this? We're gonna be in here for a while. Go through and every time you see somebody mentioned being filled with the Spirit or by the Spirit or the power of the Spirit, pick out a color and highlight it in that color all the way through. And if you're like, I don't like writing in my Bible, don't worry, God doesn't care. You can write in it, just don't change the words. And then uh, that's what Jesus said. Um, But if you want, out in the resource center, there's these journals. There's uh, just some plain black ones and some frilly ones I mentioned. It just has the text of scripture and then just a blank page on the opposite side. Through the, it's, it's all the book of Acts, that's all that says. And you could maybe take notes on a Sunday morning as you're going or as you're studying. Mark this up then, if you don't wanna mark that. Uh, they cost us, I think if you buy it on Amazon, they're like seven bucks. Um, we got them for about five, so uh, for $5. And if you wanna pay that later, not a big deal. Just, just grab one on your way out and we trust you and we'll get it back from you later. But let's, let's look here what happens when they're filled with the spirit. Notice a few things. First off, uh, Peter, when he was filled, he didn't go, like, go off the handle and turn into a crazy man. He still demonstrated godly character and respect for the authorities above him in that moment. Notice, he doesn't just start calling them names. He, he addresses them as they are, rulers of the people and elders. He does it with grace and with truth. And if you find yourself in that spot, that's what, that's what God's word says, to, to speak the truth with grace and in love. And let's keep reading here. If, here's what he says to him. If, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man and how this guy has been healed, in the moment here, look, the, the spirit is giving them words. It, it brings to their mind, you know, the, really the reason we're here is not, we didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, so if, if you brought us here because, well, we healed this guy, guilty? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, we did it. Well, God did it through us is what they're about to say. That's how he was healed. 
they called to attention then God's work. Again, the spirit worked in that. This guy was standing next to them. They called to attention that he was totally healed. He says, if that's what you're accusing us of, well, and you wanna know how he was healed, let's just let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, all the people that were out there listening to me preach yesterday, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the way, whom you crucified. You know, when Peter was preaching this in Acts 3, when we read it last Sunday, I mentioned, you know, Peter started speaking to the Jewish people and saying, you guys crucified him. You betrayed him. You, you were in the crowd shouting, crucify. You, you took Barabbas, a murderer, instead of Jesus, the savior and author of life. And you had him murdered. Well, it's one thing to say it to that crew. Now, where is Peter? He's standing before the council who tried Jesus and actually sent him to Pilate to be crucified. These are the guys who actually made that decision. Annas had him in his home. The Holy Spirit gave him boldness. He gave him incredible, incredible boldness. The one you crucified. And then notice what he says right after that. I mean, uh, Peter's boldness here by the spirit is, is pretty incredible because then he goes, by the way, and God raised him from the dead. I know you guys don't believe in the whole resurrection thing, but I'm telling you, he's alive. He totally died and now he's alive. I've seen him, I've talked to him, I've touched him. I had breakfast with him. You should believe in him. You should repent. By him, this man is standing before you well. He's the one who healed this guy. He did it. And then the spirit brings scripture to mind as Peter is speaking. He starts quoting from Psalm 118. He says, uh, this Jesus, uh, he's the stone that was rejected by you. That's Psalm 118, 22. The one that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. In that moment, the, the Holy Spirit brings scripture to mind. Do you wanna experience the this, this spirit working more in your life? One, get in this book, grab a journal, start writing. Two, just pick out verses that, that stand out to you that God speaks to you through and memorize them. Get it in your mind. Just work on memorizing it. Pick one this month. Memorize it. The Holy Spirit draws on that, draws on the words that he wrote, and then we'll, we'll use that in you to help you. Peter had heard Jesus say the same things, referencing that passage relating to him. This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It's now become the cornerstone. That's Jesus. And by the way, he says, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not your rules, not going to the temple, none of that. The only way to be made right with God is by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the way you can be healed. Now, one thing that's curious here too, God gave Peter uh, words, he gave him conviction, he gave him clarity of thought. And even in this moment, uh, when Peter says, you know, you've been saved. Let me go back to verse nine. He, he talked about the man who is standing there. He goes, you know, you guys are wondering how this guy has been healed. If I could give you a lens and you could see through the English back to the original language <clears throat> in Greek that Peter would have spoken that Luke wrote, that word is uh, sozo. How has this man been sozoed? It's not exactly right, but you get the idea. 
Well, then when you, that word means to heal. Well, then later in our English Bible, we read uh, there's salvation, that you must be saved. It's that same word that's also translated as salvation. See, you wondered how this man was sozoed? It was by Jesus. And by the way, in the same way, you can be sozoed, can be saved and healed. And God gives him clarity, words, conviction, and peace in that moment. Some of you, you've experienced this. Like you've been under the gun, you've been in the moment, and you come out on the other side, maybe you even head into it like, I don't know what I'm gonna say, I don't know what to do. And you come out on the other end and you're like, I don't know what I said, but it was good and God gave it to me in that moment. That's the Holy Spirit keeping his promise. He does that. He does that for you and me, just like he did for Peter and John. It's the same spirit. And look what happens then. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated because all these guys at the council, they had more degrees than Fahrenheit. Like they're crazy smart. They had studied and studied and studied, right? But Peter and John, what did Peter do for a living? He caught fish. He was a fisherman. He, he spent time on a boat. He was, he probably smelled most of the time. And he was a little bit obnoxious in how he talked. Think a construction worker from New Jersey with a thick accent. That's Peter, rough guy. And yet here he is, the Holy Spirit empowers him to speak truth. And they perceived he was uneducated. They were, these were common men. They were astonished. They recognized, I love this line. They recognized they had been with Jesus. If you want one to highlight in your Bible, that's a good one. They recognized they had been with Jesus. I wonder, do people... Um, People recognize you've been with Jesus if you follow him. When you talk about him, does, does he come up just in normal conversation, just kind of matter of fact, not making a big deal, just, yeah, I'm really thankful to Jesus for that one. I have a lot to be grateful for that God's given me. People begin to recognize you've been with him. You've spent time in his word. You've spent time with his people. He changes us through the spirit. I love that. And then, so they're like, this, these guys are uneducated, but I can't believe what I'm hearing from them. And clearly there's this guy standing next to him. He's healed. We can't deny that. So they said nothing in opposition. And Jesus kept his promise, didn't he? He said, when they bring you before the rulers of the synagogue and all the authorities, don't fret about what you're gonna say. Don't dream it up and think it through a hundred times before you get there. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will help you. In that very hour, he will. He'll help you. In fact, and friends, it's the same spirit. He helps us. He'll, he'll give you what you need in the moment to live and proclaim boldly what he wants. What he wants. Have you ever experienced that too? Like if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit in you, you've been praying about a situation, you walk into it. And in, in one sense, you're kind of loaded for bear. Like you know what you're gonna say. And then you get done and you're like, I didn't say anything I had planned on saying. Why? I would contend maybe the Holy Spirit gave you new words in that moment to be gracious and speak truth. But he, he, he does what he wants, what he wants. 
kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What does God want? Well, as we wrap up this morning, let's gather a few things here from Peter and John of what God does want from us. Because we see it in them, what he wants us to do. And I, I think the first thing we see very clearly is that God wants you and I to trust him. He wants you to trust him. Now, uh, for some of you, that means trust him because you've trusted him for your salvation. For others, you, you just need to turn to him and trust that he can and will save you if you turn to him in faith. And you can do that today. But let's keep going. Let's look at uh, Peter and John. So they had, they had no idea what to say in opposition. The leaders didn't. So here's what Peter and John faced. And, and they trusted God through this. So when they had commanded them, when they, the, the leaders, had commanded them, Peter and John, to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they're like, Peter, John, healed guy, uh, we need you to leave for a little bit, we need to talk. And they kick him out. And they confer with one another. They were speechless, just like Jesus had left them speechless when he stood before him. Now Peter and John left them speechless. And so they're like, hey, why don't you leave so we can talk? And then they said to each other, what do we do with these guys? I mean, it's clear a notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to all the signs of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. Like you've seen that guy before, haven't you? Yeah, he sits at that gate every day. Every now and then I give him money. But he's there every, he's been, I can't remember a time he hasn't been there. I know I saw him too, I know him. And I, how is he walking? Do you think he faked it for 40 years? I doubt it. I mean, they're like, what do we do? It's clear something incredible has happened. Everybody's seen it, not just us. But you know, sometimes even when people see all the details and get all the evidence, they still believe what they want to believe. I mean, just look at politics, right? No matter what side you're on, it's really hard to convince somebody with a different viewpoint because they're going to believe what they want to believe. Unless, in this case, the Holy Spirit does that work in them. Peter and John aren't going to be able to convince them. The Holy Spirit has to, so they just trust God because look at what they do. If, here's what they say to themselves, but in order that it may spread no further among the people. I mean, clearly he's healed. Clearly this was really good, but we don't want any more of this. Let's, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Peter and John just said it was the name of Jesus that healed this guy. And now they're saying, we don't want him to speak in this name anymore. Can't have anybody else getting healed. That's not good. It's just ironic and weird. I wonder though, for, for you, let's, let's bring it home. So Peter and John trusted God in the midst of all this going on. What about you? What, what sort of opposition do you face? It's Thanksgiving week. For some of you and your family getting together, it's gonna be a lot of fun and really good. For others of you, you're like, oh, my family's coming. What's that look like? Maybe, maybe you're the religious one. You're the one, they know you go to church, so they're gonna ask you to pray on Thursday. That's me, by the way, and my family. Oh, he's a pastor, let him pray, which is great, that's good. But maybe you face that a little bit too, right? Um, 
maybe it's, it's not that, but maybe it's a, just a situation where you need to trust God because there's, there's somebody you're gonna see this week who, who you've been witnessing to for a long time and you've, spread, you've shared the gospel with them, you've told them things and man, you just wish they would trust Christ. You've laid out all the evidence. They, they've seen change in your life even. Like, like these guys saw in the crippled man who's no longer crippled, but they still refuse to believe. Listen, you're not gonna argue anyone into the kingdom. You need to just let God be God and trust him. As the psalmist said, be still. Maybe for you to boldly live and proclaim truth is to boldly be quiet and loving and gracious. And let God be God and do his work. Too many times I think uh, we, can, we can try to win an argument and not win a person. And so then they push away the gospel. So God wants us to trust him. Let him be God. He says, I will be exalted. Don't worry, I will. It's not on you. I will be exalted in the earth among the nations. Trust him, friends. Here's the second thing. Peter and John trusted him through all this. Obey him. Obey him. Do what he tells you to do. Jesus says that's how uh, he would, you'd prove your love for him is obeying him. But let's look at Peter and John here. Let's get back to the story. So uh, the council, they called them in and they charged them. They said, uh, all right, here's, here's the plan. Clearly you've healed this guy. God's healed this guy. You claim, you know, through you, whatever's happened. You can go, but don't talk about Jesus anymore. No more of this nonsense. Well, um, Peter and John, look at their answer. They said, well, you know, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you've got to decide. You've got to decide, but we can't but speak about what we've heard and what we've seen. We just, we, we have to obey him. You know, sometimes um, part of obeying him is speaking truth, but doing it in a gracious way. So maybe that, let's go back to our Thanksgiving family illustration, right? That something comes up this week and you say, you know, I love you, I care about you, but I can't not talk about it. Like this is just, this is the truth. This is who I am. I'm, but you've got to decide for you. You've got to decide, is that God's word or is it not? And should you listen to God or should you listen to what you want? And leave it at that and then trust that God will be God and work and love them and be gracious. Win them again, not the argument. We'll talk more about this when we get to Acts 5 because it comes up again. Let's scroll way forward here. Peter and John and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Then here's the last thing. We'll call it a morning. Trust him, obey him, and choose joy. You know, it's curious when uh, uh, worship set this morning, uh, I mentioned earlier, Josh has been planning all that. I didn't have these points down yet, but you know, all of these were covered in what we sang earlier this morning about choosing joy, about trust you, I trust you. Your ways are higher than my own. And obeying him, but choose joy. Look at, look at what happens. Peter and John, uh, they say this and 
after they say this, evidently that council, they had further words for them. They threatened them more. When they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. They were all praising God for what had happened. For the man whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's go back to verse 21 here. Uh, They let him go, finding no way to punish them. They were praising God. Here's what you're gonna see in Acts. God's people get into some trouble with authorities for preaching the gospel. In some cases, they get uh, physically beaten and, and suffer. And you know what their response is? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not, oh, my life is so hard. Let me just complain here for a minute, okay? I wanna tell you just how rough this week has been. I wanna tell you how hard. They don't do that. They don't mope. They praise God and rejoice. They choose joy. You know, you can choose joy. I can choose joy even in the hardest days and the toughest situations. In fact, um, God wants me to be joyful, not to mope, not to be woe is me, but to have life and have it abundantly. As we wrap up here, let me share with you what might be the most annoying verse in the entire Bible if you're a Christian. You ready for it? It's Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And if you're like me, you go, hold on, Paul. Always accept like when life is like it is right now, right? And maybe I would start to argue with him and pour out all the different things that I want to choose to be grumpy about. And he goes, oh, hold on, hold that thought. Let me say it again, rejoice. Always, we can choose it. Now, again, if you're like me, some days I don't want to rejoice. I want to wallow in my sorrow and be down and just feel sorry for myself. But God says, choose joy. You can rejoice, always you can. That's what the Holy Spirit will help you do. That's a fruit of the Spirit as you're filled with him. He gives you joy. Now listen, hear this. That doesn't mean the hard situation or the opposition or the persecution or the grumpy family member at Thanksgiving this week, it doesn't mean that they're not incredibly hard things, incredibly painful things. It just means that even in spite of that, I can choose to have joy and I can let the Holy Spirit help me to trust God, to obey him and to be joyful in any circumstance. Let me pray. We're gonna close, sing about how good God is and call it a morning.